You know, um, as we get into our our, um, our passage for this morning, um, I have I have had the privilege of of um, officiating a lot of weddings, and, and it's one of the, my favorite things about being a pastor is that I get to officiate weddings. And um, however, there was once that I got to be a best man, and maybe you you got to be a best man or a maid of honor at a wedding, and and it is a place of honor, but you know, as a best man. Um, there are a lot of responsibilities that go into being the best man for uh, for your friend, the groom that is going to get married. The, the best man plays a big role in the wedding process, doesn't he? Maybe you've never thought about it, but a, a best man has to do a lot of things. First of all, he kind of wants needs to make sure that the whole wedding ceremony and all the plans before and after go smoothly. The best man is sort of in charge of of, of keeping the groom at ease, making sure he actually shows up to the wedding, right? Uh, before and after, the best man has a lot to do. He's got to, to, to coordinate getting the tuxedos. He's got to plan the party ahead of time. He normally does like a toast afterwards. So the best man in a wedding has a lot of responsibilities. But his main responsibility is to get the groom ready to help present him uh, during the ceremony, right before it starts, present him to the bride. And then what happens? Then really you don't hear much anymore about the best man. His job is pretty much done. Right? Because the wedding ceremony is not about the best man and the maid of honor, is it? They have, they have special places in, in the whole process. But yet the whole wedding is about the bride and the groom. Well, in our passage today, in, in, the, in the third chapter of the Gospel of John, what we see is we see John the Baptist looking a lot like, lot like the best man for Jesus who is called the bridegroom. Because John the Baptist plays a very important part in the life and ministry of Jesus. And we're going to see John the Baptist saying some very important words, words that actually have become the theme for Trinity Bible Church this year of 2021. And that theme is found in John 3, verse 30. And that theme is simply this. He must increase, I must decrease. Did you ever read that verse before? I'm going to share a little bit of context and why John the Baptist says this about himself and Jesus. But that is our theme for 2021. He must increase, I must decrease. And you'll see it even there just represented by the symbols. Because the cross is greater than me. Jesus is greater than anything this world has to offer. Anything that I could say or do, Jesus is greater. We can get an amen for that, right? He is greater. And why? Because in our lives, as disciples, as followers of Jesus, each and every day our goal should be to make Jesus greater and ourselves lesser. He must increase and I must decrease. It's like what the best man does at the wedding for the groom. He plays an important role. And he has a usefulness. He has a ministry. But the whole point of the ministry, church, 
is to get ready to point everything back to the bride and the groom. You see that? So that at the, at, at, at the start of the ceremony, what happens? The best man fades and the groom takes center stage. And that's what we see happening with John the Baptist and Jesus. And you know what? If there's nothing else from today, remembering this verse, he must increase, I must decrease, the theme is humility. John the Baptist shows us what it looks like to be humble. And we learn really two things. There's only really two points to my message this morning. It's that humility comes from understanding two things. Who God is and who we are. And if we get those two things right, then we will be humble. And we'll be like John the Baptist and we'll play our role, the important role God has for us in carrying on the ministry of Jesus. But it is all about pointing it back to Him. So I want to read for you now our, our text for this morning. It's John three twenty-two to 30 I'll give you a little bit of context and background. Then we'll see, what does this mean for us? How can we practically, on a day-to-day basis, allow Jesus to increase and for ourselves to decrease? John 3, 22, and ending in verse 30, our theme verse for the year. After this, Jesus and His disciples went into the Judean countryside. And He remained there with them and was baptizing. John also was baptizing at Aon near Salem because water was plentiful there and and people were coming and being baptized for John had not yet been put in prison. Now a discussion arose between some of John's disciples and a Jew over purification and they came to john and they said to him and this is john the baptist john they said rabbi he who was with you across the jordan to whom you bore witness look he's baptizing and all are going over to him and so john answered a person cannot receive even one thing unless it is given him from heaven You yourselves bear me witness that I said, I am not the Christ, but I have been sent before Him. The one who has the bride is the bridegroom. The friend of the bridegroom who stands and hears Him rejoices greatly at the bridegroom's voice. Therefore, this joy of mine is now complete. He must increase, but I must decrease this will be a lesson for all of us from john the baptist in humility we are to point to jesus not ourselves not to others not to the culture or the society or even the government all that we say and do should be pointing others to the lord jesus he gets all the glory and not us you know if anyone could have fallen into the trap of pride if anyone could have boasted and been prideful it would have been john the baptist i mean he was filled with the holy spirit while he was still in his mother's womb remember that from the beginning of luke he was the forerunner of the messiah john the baptist 
had immediate success when he came on the scene. All of Jerusalem and Judea and the surrounding areas, everybody came from there. They all knew about him. They were all going out to him into the wilderness to confess their sins and be baptized. Even Jesus, in Matthew 11.11, testified that John was considered the greatest of all who had come before him. That is what Jesus said about his best man. Jesus, the bridegroom, Jesus the groom said that about his best man. There's a reason that a groom picks a best man, right? He's his best friend, his best brother, right? He's the one that's closest to him. So Jesus says, John the Baptist is the man. But yet, in our text for today, John gives his disciples and all of us this basic lesson in humility. See, Jesus was growing in popularity. And John the Baptist's popularity was waning. You see that? Before Jesus comes on the scene, John the Baptist is the man. He's got the big show in town, see? And what happens then is Jesus comes, the one he had been pointing to, and all of a sudden, everybody is flocking to Jesus and so in our story today, we see that there is one, there's one Jew, he is not named. He's kind of like a troublemaker, I think, because he's trying to stir some things up in the followers of John the Baptist. And so he comes to the, the disciples of John the Baptist, and he says to them, you know, everybody's kind of leaving your show and going over there. You used to have a great party, but now everybody's going to this party. There's this guy, Jesus. What do you think about that? You see, you can almost hear it in his voice. And that's what's happening. But then we see John's response, where he ends in verse 30. I <laughs> know. It's okay, because he must increase. I must decrease. So, what was going on? There was two thriving ministries that were taking place. And they were kind of close to each other. There was John the Baptist, and then there was Jesus and his disciples. Now it says in the text, Jesus himself wasn't actually doing the baptizing. (coughs) Excuse me. But the disciples were. I think because in the same thing with John the Baptist, he wasn't necessarily doing all the baptisms. It was his disciples. Because they kind of didn't want to play these favorites. Like if you were baptized by Jesus himself, you'd be like, hey... My baptism is like, I got the good baptism, right? Because I was baptized by the man, not one of his men. You see? But that's what was happening. They were doing this all along the Jordan River. It said there was a lot of water there. But here's another thing to note before we move on. It's an important note too. At the time, these were not Christian baptisms, right? Jesus was just starting and these were not Christian baptisms. What was happening is John the Baptist and Jesus were proclaiming the kingdom of God. Remember, Jesus came to offer the kingdom to the Jewish people. And so these baptisms were actually people repenting, Jewish people, repenting of their sins and being baptized as a symbolism of being washed clean. It was all, listen, in preparation for the proclamation of the gospel in in Jesus alone. Salvation by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone. 
So this is all in preparation for that. So you had John the Baptist and his followers and Jesus and his followers and sort of these rival gangs, right? Right, I'm just exaggerating, but you get the picture. And so what's happening is John the disciple, the one that's writing this, right? We're in the Gospel of John, so we don't get confused. So the author of this Gospel, John, he's reporting this. And he reports that there was a dispute, some kind of discussion that, that arose between John's disciples and this one particular Jew. And it was about purification. Now it's interesting to know we don't really hear anything more about purification. We just see that that's what it started about. That's what it was about. We're not quite sure. It's kind of conjecture. But it probably had something to do with whether John's baptisms were superior to the the rites of purification. You remember uh, back earlier, uh, we see in, um, I think it was in uh, chapter 2, we see that the Gospel writer John mentions these Jewish rites when Jesus shows up at the wedding. Remember when they ran out of wine? He's talking about the rites because these these big um, containers that were filled with water, it wasn't drinking water, it was water for ritual cleansing that the Jews used. And that's the water Jesus turned into wine see and so he kind of related to that so probably had something to do with that like are these baptisms of john and jesus are they better are they more effective than all the purification laws that we have as as jews that's probably the nature of what was happening but in the the present context of our passage we see that jesus is called by john the baptist the groom the bridegroom to be specific He comes to bring people into a joyous relationship with Himself. Jesus does. Jesus doesn't come to haggle over Jewish ceremonies, does He? I mean, who did He spend most of His time um, uh, you know, talking to? And and not arguing, but who is He trying to put in their place the most? It was the Jewish leaders who were teaching the people, telling the people how to observe these Jewish rituals, right? And so Jesus wasn't about all that. See, He came to bring joy, not through rituals, but through the relationship. It was a heart matter instead of an outward showing. It was a new birth from above. Remember what happened earlier? We're in John chapter 3, verses 22 to 30. Remember what happens earlier in John 3, 16-ish? Does that sound familiar? Right? When Jesus is saying, you have to be born again. It's a spiritual new birth by believing in the Lord Jesus. That was the context of what was leading up to this. So, probably this this Jew that, that we're seeing here, that we're meeting, is pointing out that John the Baptist's ministry was being eclipsed by Jesus' ministry. And he's kind of getting in the middle, right? Being a troublemaker. Saying, what's going on here? Doesn't that cause you any problems, Rabbi? So John's disciples were kind of like, hmm, maybe this guy's right. What should we do about it? So they come to him and they say, Rabbi, meaning John the Baptist, they called him Rabbi too. He who is with you beyond the Jordan, meaning Jesus, to whom you have testified, behold, hey, he's baptizing and everybody's going to him. They were jealous on John's behalf against John's growing ministry. And then this sets the stage for John the Baptist's reply in the last few verses of our text. And this is a great lesson in humility. Humility is for all of us. So here's the two things, church. 
humility that John the Baptist is about to teach us, it stems from two things. Understanding who God is, and then understanding who we are. Does that make sense? That's an easy way to do it. We have to know who God is and who we are. If we keep Him in His proper place, and ourselves in our proper place, then we're well on our way towards practicing humility. John the Baptist clearly understood God's sovereignty. He knew who Jesus was and who he was. He did not have an inflated view of himself, even though he had gained all of this recognition and popularity. He found great joy. Listen, church, he said he found great joy in handing over the ministry to Jesus. The one whose sandals he wasn't even worthy to tie. See, that was John the Baptist. So, humility comes from understanding first who God is. Right? We need to understand that God is absolutely sovereign. John, in in our text today, in verse 27, John the Baptist says, A man can receive nothing unless it has been given to him from heaven. Right? I mean, do we take credit for the things that we do and say? For maybe the people we lead to the Lord, for the great things we do for our friends and family, the the great things we do in business, or do we give God the credit? Later on today, I hear there is the Super Bowl. I didn't watch one game this year. It's just been a really weird, a really weird year, and um, it feels like every other year because this guy Tom Brady is still in it, and I don't understand. So what's the difference? It just happens every year, right, brother Steve? And so, you know. So what's the use of watching, you know? But here's the thing. I mean, we're, so there's going to be this great big game and these two rivals, right? And then usually what happens is there's some believers, of course, on, on both sides. And somebody scores a touchdown and they give credit to God. We like to see that, don't we? Because they're not saying, yeah, look at me, look what I did. They're getting all the cheering and adulation, but they're saying, I give credit to God. Do we do that in our own lives? When you score a touchdown, how about that? When you score a touchdown in life, does that sound good? A little cheesy, right? Do you give credit and glory to God? I mean, Jesus says later on in John 6, no one can come to me unless it has been granted uh, him from the Father. See, it all starts from God who is sovereign. John the Baptist is saying that his role as the forerunner, it was given to him by God. He's got to stay in that role, as we might say today. He's got to stay in his lane. That's what John the Baptist is saying. See, that's not my lane over there, guys. That's Jesus. He's the one I've been telling you about. He has to increase. I'm going to decrease. Right? Paul then, he applies this. The Apostle Paul applies this in his letter to the church in Corinth, 1 Corinthians 12. He talks about the church. He says, now, there are a variety of gifts, but the same Spirit. There are varieties of ministries and the same Lord. Varieties of effects, but the same God who works all things in all persons. And then he also adds later, but one and the same Spirit works all these things, distributing to each one individually just as He will. See, we all, sitting here, are part of the church. We're all part of the body of Christ. We all play a certain role. We are all very important to God and to Jesus' ministry. But if we're all like best men, shouldn't we all 
shouldn't all of us in all that we're doing, even with the gifts that God has given us, say, this isn't for me, this is for Him. In fact, that's why the Holy Spirit gives us gifts. You know that when we become believers? It's not so we can increase. It's so Jesus can increase. And so it's so the church can be edified. We do it for each other. So if we're not using our spiritual gifts, this sort of plug for you know, understanding and finding your spiritual gift. If we are not understanding and using our spiritual gift, the whole body suffers. Because if we are to be a healthy, growing church, we need to be using our gifts, not for our own glory and self-edification, but for Him. Humility comes from understanding that God is sovereign and that Jesus Christ is Lord and Savior. John the Baptist said, he said in our text, I am not the Christ, but I have been sent ahead of him. See, John the Baptist knows he's not, he's not Jesus. He's not the Messiah. He's the one that's supposed to point to the Messiah. John knew that Jesus was that, prime, that promised bridegroom. And that the bride, being the church, belongs to him and not to John the Baptist. John the Baptist is not the head of the church. Jesus is the head of the church. John the Baptist was merely the the best man, see. Because the focus of the wedding is not on the best man, but on the bride and the groom. So, humility comes from knowing who God is. But also, humility then comes from understanding who we are in His presence. So we have to know who God is, but then know who we are to be humble like John the Baptist is showing us, right? Humility comes from understanding we're not Jesus. <laughs> he said that. He says, I am not the Christ and you, you get, you're my witnesses. He says, you yourselves are, are my witnesses that I said I'm not the Christ, but I've been sent ahead of him. He's like, I, I've told you that, right? I've given you that testimony. You guys should know this by now. But isn't that something we have to learn over and over again, church? That he is God and we're not? It sounds simple. Maybe that's the way we should wake up every day, right? You are God and I am not. How about you wake up and you say that to your spouse? He is God and you're not God. How would that go? Maybe you say it to yourself first. That's better. But see, and maybe it's a little safer. But that's the idea. is to say, God, you're God. I am not God. And that is the beginning of humility. To know who God is, but then to know who we are and who we are not, right? It's an understanding that everything that I am, everything that I have been entrusted with by God, is to be used not for my selfish purposes, but for Him. John said in verse 27, A man can receive nothing unless it has been given him from heaven. See, right away, that was John's first words to his followers. Don't worry about Jesus over there. That's what's supposed to be happening. Because I don't have anything that I haven't gotten from God. That's what he was telling his followers. John knew about his special role in history, but that it was all pointing to Jesus. The Apostle Paul said to the Corinthians that who kind of had a problem with arrogance and pride. What does he say? In 1 Corinthians 4, 7, what do you have that you did not receive? Can you picture Paul saying that to the church in Corinth? He's like, what do you have that you didn't get from God? And if you did receive it, why do you boast? 
as if you didn't receive it. Right? How about Pontius Pilate? Remember that, that exchange between Pilate and Jesus? Pilate said, I got all kinds of authority over you, Jesus. Remember that? He goes, I, Pilate said, I have authority to crucify you or to save you. And what does Jesus say? John 19, 11, You would have no authority over me unless it has been given to you from above. That was Jesus' words. So, that's an important lesson. Knowing who God is and who we are. All of our gifts, abilities, opportunities come from God by grace alone. God wants to use me for His purposes and His glory. John knew who he was. He sought to fulfill that ministry, to stay in his lane. And that's what brought him the greatest joy. And then one more note about this. How about even how we define success in our lives and our society? We often say to other believers, I can't wait till that day when I see Jesus face to face. And he says, well done, good and successful servant. No, we don't say that, right? Isn't it well done, good and faithful servant? How do we measure success as believers in our walk with Jesus? It's not by success by the world's standards. It's success by God's standards. God measures success by faithfulness. Well done, good and faithful servant. Was it not the prophet Jeremiah, the weeping prophet, I think we call him, right? Didn't seem to be very successful in his ministry. But yet he was faithful to his calling. We see it all throughout Scripture. Are you faithful to your calling? Are you faithful to using the gifts, the talents, the experience that God has given you for His glory? No matter what the world looks like and says success or not. Right? If Jesus came back and opened a church down the road, and everybody from here started going there, what should I say? Praise the Lord. We're pointing it all to Jesus. I mean, John the Baptist could have said, wait, come back. I got the better show. I could say, wait, come back. We got this band, and we, we, we can dim our lights, and we can get a fog machine. And that might help. We can do some really cool things and put on a better show than Jesus. I wouldn't want to do that. Because everything should point to Him, see? All that we say and do individually and as a church should be pointed back, not to the best man, but to the groom himself. So, we see in verse 30 of John's Gospel, chapter 3, John the Baptist simply says, He must increase, but I must decrease. John the Baptist was faithful. He was a God-appointed forerunner of the Messiah Jesus. He got thrown in prison. And you know just a short time after he wrote, uh, he said these things, what happened to John the Baptist? He was beheaded. And then he says at the end, it was his great joy. His joy became complete knowing that Jesus was increasing and he was decreasing. So what does it mean for us? Just to sum that up, on our path of discipleship, doesn't Jesus say, deny yourself, take up your cross once a year, once a week on Sunday? No, take up your cross daily 
and follow me. It's self-denial. You know, church, last year, we may have felt like we were denied some things. We didn't want this COVID thing. We didn't want all this stuff happening. We don't want to have to like shut our doors. We don't have to wear masks. We don't want to have to stay in our homes. In some ways, things that we were used to, that we liked, were denied us. And we had nothing to do with it. We had no part in it. But yet, the principle still remains. Jesus actually says, you are to practice self-denial. Deny yourself. Die to self. See, that's the life of a disciple. Is dying to self daily taking up your cross and following Jesus. Jesus had all these crowds following Him, but where was He headed? To Calvary. To the cross of Calvary. And you could see one by one, as Jesus clearly taught where He was going, and they started to get it, what happened to the crowds? They started to fizzle out, didn't they? They started to thin out. Because people are like, I'm not going there. I like the free food, Jesus. I like the miracles. But I'm not going, I'm not going to pick up my cross and follow you. Jesus said, He didn't say, follow me as long as I'm providing a free lunch. He said, follow me all the way to the cross. The life of a disciple of Jesus is a life of discipline. The spiritual disciplines. It's a life of prayer and study. Sometimes of fasting. We, we meditate. But there is in essence this idea of self-denial because we are to die to self so that He can increase and we decrease. It is His light that we are shining, not our own. Philippians 2, 4-11. I'll end by reading this to you and then we're going to gather around the, the, um, the elements and close our time by doing that. You know, uh, I've talked about weddings today. I got to do a, I've gotten to do a lot of weddings, and I love that. One of the passages that I will often use in my um, my devotional and my meditation to the to the, the the new bride and groom standing there before me comes from Philippians chapter two, in the first eleven verses. Because in the first eleven verses of, of Philippians two. The Apostle Paul, who's writing this to the church in Philippi, he is teaching them all about humility. And you know what? Any good marriage really has to be founded on humility, doesn't it? It has to be founded on that that precept that John the Baptist is teaching us that he must increase, I must decrease. We are to think of others before ourselves. A wife is to think of the husband before herself. The husband, who is supposed to die to self right like christ did for the church is supposed to think of his wife first before him but it all it can't happen unless there's this foundation of humility right john the baptist who was playing the role of the best man at the wedding he said it's not about me we have to point to jesus the groom and then the bride who is us the church see it wasn't about John the Baptist, the best man, teaches us about humility. But here's what it says in Philippians chapter 2, verses 4 through 11. What a perfect way to end. Let each of you look not only to his own interest, but also to the interest of others. Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who though he was in the form of God, listen now, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, But he emptied himself 
by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men, and being found in human form, this is about Jesus, He humbled Himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Therefore, God highly exalted Him and bestowed on Him the name that is above every name, so that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. And then look how it ends, church. To the glory of God the Father. You see that? The whole point of humility is so that God gets the glory. And that's the point of our text. The story about Jesus and John the Baptist and their ministries. And John the Baptist says, he's going to increase, I'm going to decrease. Because everything I have came from him anyway. I have no reason to boast. Do we feel like that too? Is that the way we approach what God has blessed us with? Our career, our our, uh, particular acumen in, in our field of expertise? Do we just kind of like to live in, in sort of that recognition and that place, uh, eating a little bit of the pie of pride, right? John the Baptist says it's all about Jesus. We have nothing except what comes from Him. And as we move into our time of communion, if you don't have it, you can get it out now. I want, us to, I want to lead us in our time of the elements of the, the, the juice and of the bread.